Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Genesis uh, that we've gotten to study it this summer. I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now and you'd teach us your word, uh, but also move us to make the changes in our lives that we need to make. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote a little book called The Hobbit. Maybe some of you have read it. I got to read it in about fifth grade, and it was a good read. And at the beginning of the book, a, Gandalf, a wizard named Gandalf goes to Hobbitown. So he goes to the Shire, and he goes looking for a hobbit to help him on his quest. He wants a burglar to go and infiltrate this big mountain where there is a dragon guarding a treasure. And he meets his burglar, his hobbit, in a small hobbit named Bilbo Baggins. And I want to briefly share a quote about Gandalf asking Bilbo to join him. He says this, he says, I am looking for someone to share in an adventure that I am arranging, and it's very difficult to find anyone. Here's Bilbo's response. I should think so. In these parts, we are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. How has God invited us into adventures, into a journey, into a calling? And we sometimes do the same thing. We say, no thanks, God. They're nasty, disturbing things. I'm comfortable where I'm at. That will make me late for dinner. Today we're reading the story of someone who was called by God into an adventure, into a journey, an, an unexpected journey, someplace that he had to travel and he had no idea this was going to happen. God called him to this. See, God was inviting Abram to leave everything and follow him. And sometimes God speaks into our lives, to, to your life and to my life, asking us to Leave what we prize the most and follow after God. I believe that God invites us into the unknown. And this really describes our first couple verses as we read in the end of chapter 11. Abram is a man who lived probably 2,100 years before Christ, 2,200 years, so a long time before the birth of Jesus Christ. And his father was a man named Terah. And Abram, now we think about Abram, eventually God renames him. He becomes a man named Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, the father of the Jewish people. We think about him as a man who must have loved God, who must have been a good man. But if we look at Abram, he actually knew God and God's plans a lot less well than we think. He probably knew God's, God's plans not, none at all until God made himself known to him. See, Abram came from Ur of the Chaldeans, and in this city, in this town, in ancient Mesopotamia, so that's modern-day Iraq, there was a temple of worship, a ziggurat, just like the Tower of Babel, where they would have worshipped the moon god, the moon god Nana. And in fact, Abram's father's name, Terah, actually sort of rhymes, it's, it's, it's similar to the word Yera, which means lunar month. In fact, all of Abram's family, his father, his wife, 
uh, his niece and nephew, they're all actually named after this moon god in some way. They're named after this ancient pagan worship. You see, Abram was a man who didn't know God, who in fact worshipped false gods, and yet God had mercy on Abram and showed up and brought him into a saving relationship. We also know God and his plans probably a lot uh, less well than sometimes we give ourselves credit for. You might remember the story of Noah, and that was several weeks ago, but we, we went through the story of Noah, and we learned that Noah, likewise, was a wicked man who God saved purely by his grace, and through Noah's life, God transformed him and credited him as being righteous, made him into the righteous good man that God had plans for. How well do you know God and his plans? Chances are we each know God's plans less than we think. Now, we can read God's big plans, kind of the overarching story of all of time through reading the Bible. Uh, We can read the story that has happened uh, from Genesis until really the second to the last book of the Bible. And then Revelation, we get a picture of sort of the end of the story, the big story. But sometimes that big story, the big plans of God, they intersect with our small story, with our personal story, and God acts us to asks us to do something different, to get out of our comfort zones, to follow him in a unique way. And it's in those moments that we get to know God, not only as a God that we know about, but a God that we have had an experience of, that we begin to trust him and know him with our hearts. God's big plans can change our personal plans. God invites us into the unknown so that the unknown God might become known by you and me. God invites us in an interesting way. He he doesn't say that we're going to have to, you know, earn his pleasure. He says, come and follow me by faith. God invites you, invites me into the unknown by faith. We're looking at the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12, and I do want to take a moment and read those. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God invited Abram into the unknown by faith. And he invites us into the unknown by faith as well. Now, the very first thing, so Abram has been this moon worshiper who doesn't really know God, and suddenly God comes out of nowhere and says, go, go, leave your country, your people. He begins with a command, a call to believe, but also a call to obey. Now, this is a pretty big call. Notice that God is, is asking him to leave his homeland, his, his country. He's asking him to leave his people, his friends, his network of relationships, his standing in society. And then he asks him to leave his father's household, which would have been his, his family, 
those that are close to him. God is asking him to give up his identity and his security. And sometimes God comes along in our lives and asks us to do something similar, but it's never without a reason. See, God asks us to give up something good so that we can have something better, so that we can taste God's plans and go from knowing about God to experiencing God with our own lives. Now, God promises three blessings in these first three verses to Abram. This comes from uh, my, one of my professors, Donna Petter, at Gordon-Conwell, but she liked to put it with three Ps. God promises a place, a people, and a presence. So the first thing God promises uh, and, and offers to Abram, if he'll have faith and follow after him, he says, a place, I'm going to give you a homeland. He says, go to the land I will show you. See, Abram receives the blessing of a place by trusting in God. Hebrews 11, verse 8, we read it during the service, but I want to read it again because it describes just how uh, great a sacrifice Abram had to make. It says, by faith, Abraham, so that's his name later, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. And pay attention to this next line. It says, even though he did not know where he was going. See, God just said, go. He didn't say, I'm going to explain everything to you. I'm going I'm to make it make perfect sense to you. I just want you to go. I just want you to trust me. And Abraham obeyed. Abraham showed that he had this true and alive and active faith by simply going. Now, we know from the rest of the Bible that, that God led Abram to a land named Canaan, which would, was filled with the Canaanites who, who weren't very friendly to the nation of Israel. And over the course of time, God uh, gave the land of Canaan to the Israelites, and that's where modern-day Israel is today. Abram knew God was promising a place but also that he was promising something more than just a geographic location in this world. See, when God makes a promise, he makes some very significant eternal promises. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 9a and verse 10. It says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. So that's speaking of Abram. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. See, Abram believed that God would give him a place for him and his family to live. But ultimately, Abram was not looking and trusting to, toward the land of Canaan. He was, he was hoping in eternity. He was hoping in heaven. He was hoping in that eternal paradise that only God can provide. And that's the same thing God calls us to put our hope in, that God can provide an eternal homeland for each and every one of us. Abraham had faith enough to believe, to follow, to trust, and obey. And that's the same thing God calls us to do today. Do you have faith to believe? Because I have this eternal reward that is far greater than anything you'll ever see in this lifetime. Now, 
I just wanted to kind of give you a quick illustration of the, the place promise that God is giving Abram, that God is calling Abram to believe, and almost how ridiculous it is, how wild it is. Now, Maybe you've purchased a home recently in the past couple of years, and you know it was a, it's a, can be a rather stressful experience. I purchased uh, our house, Monica and I purchased our home about two years ago. Now, imagine with me for a moment that a realtor shows up at your house completely unannounced. You've never met this realtor before, but this realtor says, all right, I want to show you the best house in all of Westford. So this is a beautiful house. It's way out of your price range, uh, but it is wonderful. You're really going to like it. So the realtor, he takes you to this home. Uh, For some reason, you go. You just believe for some reason. Uh, You go to this home, and you walk in. And it just so happens that this house is not for sale. There's actually a family eating dinner while you walk in, and they look at you sort of surprised. But the realtor says, well, I want to show you this house. And he takes you on a tour. And for some, for some reason, the family doesn't uh, throw a fit. This is, this is an imaginary scenario. But then the realtor comes back and says, I want to give you this home. I want to give you this house. All you have to do is move in, and I promise it will be yours. What would you do? Would you call the realtor a crazy madman? Would you have faith enough to go to move in? See, that's what God was calling Abram to do, to move to a land that was already occupied, to settle down, and to believe. This is a huge act of faith. But it's an act of faith that has eternal blessings, and we're going to look at that next. So the first thing God offers Abram, if you'll believe by faith, is a place, and the second thing is a people, a people. It says, I will make you into a great nation. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is a significant promise. Uh, The word nation here is used to describe some of those other nations that aren't the nation of Israel, that that don't even become the nation of Israel. So places like Egypt, Babylon, Assyria. God is saying, Abram, I'm going to make you into a huge, huge family, a global family that is going to include people from other nations that have been counted as your enemies. If we read the story of Noah and we read a little bit after, towards the end of his uh, life, he has three sons and they were on the ark with him. They, they, they come out and the, the, three, the three sons are Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And if we track the rest of the story, uh, Ham's descendants become the enemies of Shem's descendants. Shem uh, becomes, is the father of the Semites, the, the Jewish peoples. See, God is promising that the, the, the Semites, the Shemites, that they will even be so large that they will have people from Ham's line, that God will rescue historic enemies and they will become a part of Abram's families. This is a big promise. This is a global promise. This is a world peace kind of promise. It is amazing and wonderful. Abram receives the blessing of people Because he has faith enough to go, because he believes. Now, this is not the true miracle. The true miracle in Abram's time, in his story, the one that he was going to see, is the story of his wife, Sarah. 
Now, Sarah, if you remember in 11, chapter 11, verse 30, it says, Now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Sarah wasn't able to give birth. In fact, she was too old to have a child. Hebrews 11, 11 says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So this is another way of saying that she was elderly, <laughs> But she believed, she believed that there's a God who was speaking to her husband who could produce life inside of a womb filled with death. And that's the type of God she believed in, and that's the type of God Abram believed in, and that's the type of God we believe in, isn't it? What does the story tell us about Abram as well? It says in verse 4 that Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So it's not like Abram was a young guy either. See, God brought life out of death. This is what we call resurrection hope. The story of Jesus, the story of the gospel is putting our faith and a God who can produce life out of death. A God who did that for Jesus Christ, and a God who does that for you and for me. And that resurrection hope really, really matters. I have a friend right now who, uh, she, she was my childhood friend, and you've, if you're on the prayer chain, you're getting prayer updates for her. Her name's Rachel. She's my age, and she's dying. She has cancer. But she is holding firm to the end. She is putting her faith 100% in Jesus because he gives her hope at this morning because he is the God who can bring life out of death. We believe in a God who can do that. And that's the same kind of faith that Abram had in this story. He believed that there's a God who can bring life out of death. And Sarah believed that as well. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you're saying, I believe in there's a God that can produce life out of death. God promises a place, a people, and finally, number three, a presence. A presence. He says, I will show you, I will make you, I will bless you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself, that he's going to be walking with Abram through this journey. See, we believe in a God who walks with us. When God tells us to go and to do something, he doesn't say, go and do it alone. He says, I'm going to go with you through this moment. I'm going to go with you through this joy. I'm going to go with you through this trial. And in Jesus Christ, I'm going to even go with you through death. See, God is promising that he will walk with Abram through an uncertain future, and we have this promise too. Now, it is a long, uncertain, dangerous walk for Abram, literally. He traveled from the, the, the city of Haran to Canaan, which was about a month's journey, about 500 miles in his time. And he went to the land of the Canaanites, and the Canaanites were the historic enemies of Abram and his descendants, the, 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 the family of Shem and the family of Ham being at war against each other. And so to go there and say that God is going to make me into a great nation, even including these peoples, is a huge act of faith. If God walks with us, we're safe. No matter what we go through, God will keep us safe spiritually. He doesn't always guarantee our physical well-being, but he does promise that if we trust him, that we're secure. 
And when Abram arrives, he builds an altar, he worships. And I think the altar is just an acknowledgement that God is here. God is with me. God didn't stay in Ur of the Chaldeans. God didn't stay in Haran. God came with me into this land. God comes with us to those new places that he takes us. I'm going to come back to God's presence in a moment, but I want us to to remember the blessings that God is offering, if Abraham will believe, are a place, a people, and a presence. Where is God asking you to go by faith? Now, chances are he's not calling you to move 500 miles. I certainly hope you don't move away. I like you at Cornerstone. But he might be. You never know what God is asking you to do. Maybe it's something that feels just as big, like committing your life to Jesus or recommitting your life to Christ. Maybe he's calling you to to put your faith in that eternal homeland just like Abram. Because you know, if your homeland is secure, then you're secure, and there, there isn't anywhere we can't be willing to go because, well, We're secure in Christ. When God gets us out of our comfort zone, I think there's a slogan, when we get out of our comfort zone, that's when the magic happens. (laughs) God somehow works the same way. He wants to call us, but he doesn't want us to get out of our comfort zone so that we can look good. He wants us to get out of our comfort zone so that we can trust him. Where else is God calling you to go in your life? It was interesting at our our preaching breakfast on Wednesday morning, I meet with a couple people and we look at the passage. Uh, We were all sharing some of our stories of how God has moved us across the country. Uh, my, My personal story is I went from Colorado, after I graduated college, I went to Virginia, and then I felt God called me again up to Massachusetts. And it, it wasn't uh, a thing that I fought against. Uh, it was something that I was excited to do. Uh, but it was cool to see how trusting in God, although I don't think God promises to make us into a, a great people individually, I, you know, it's cool. I've gotten to come to a new place. I have a, a new home. I, I get to be with a people. And we get to see God move. We get to see his presence. We, we, get to see, we get to taste a little bit of this promise as we put our faith in God as well. And I'd love to hear your stories. Come talk to me after the service so I can hear how God has moved you and how you have walked through times of faith and you've seen God reward you at the end. God promises to bless Abram with a place, a people, and a presence, and we get to taste in that. We get to enjoy and savor that as we get to put our faith in God as well. God invites you into the unknown by faith. Why does he do this? It's so that you can know him. It's so that the unknown God can be made known. God invites you into the unknown by faith so that you might know him. See, Abram began to worship. He began to call on the one true God. Instead of calling on the moon God, Nana, he began to call on the one true God, Yahweh, and experience true and real salvation, but, but even more beautiful, a true and real relationship with the God who rules everything. 
When we looked at Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God talks about a blessing. He says, I will bless you. You will be a blessing. He uses the word blessing or bless five times. You remember when God threw Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden? He was cursing them. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, we watched that video a couple weeks. You can find it on the website. Uh, But the first 11 chapters are really describing the consequences of that first curse, of that first sin. And here in chapter 12 of Genesis, the whole story has taken a turn, not for the worse, but for the better, because God is beginning to unfold a plan where people no longer will have to experience the curse of God. They can experience the blessing of God. And what is the blessing of God? The blessing is God himself. See, in the Garden of Eden, what did God cast Adam and Eve out of? He cast them out of his presence. It said God was walking in the garden with them, but he separated them. That's what sin does. It separates us from a true and beautiful and loving relationship with our creator who knows all of our needs. And so to reverse that curse now, God is saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to walk with you in your world. I'm going to be with you. I am going to be the blessing that you need. I'm going to be the presence that can change everything. See, God restores his presence to us. And how does he do it for Abram? He does it because Abram believes, because he has faith. Not because Abram's a good man, but because Abram recognizes his own sin, is willing to trust and follow after God. Verse 7 says this. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram. See, Abram heard from God, and he trusted God, he believed God, and then suddenly he gets to see God. And that's what God calls us to. See, we hear from God, and the choice is, are we going to believe? Are we going to have faith, a faith, faith that's active and that, that wants to follow Jesus? Because if we do, the reward is getting to see God move, to see God in action. That's the most rewarding thing of, of, of getting out of our comfort zones is seeing God in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise. Gary was a 34-year-old employee of the Department of Justice, and he had a wild dream to found a nonprofit that would fight injustice all around the world. Now, Gary had worked on this plan for three whole years with some friends, but it was coming to a point where he either had to commit to this dream and to take a risk, or he had to stay at his day job, keep doing what he was doing. And he act, the, the act he remembers and he describes is walking out to the Department of Justice to turn in his badge. And he, see, he wanted to be very safe, even though he was being very brave for God. And so when he went to the Department of Justice, he asked them for a year-long absence. <laughs> and they politely said no. And so he had to think, well, am I willing to trust God in this moment? I think God's calling me to this, but you know, if, I don't, if I don't trust him, then what's going to happen? And he realized that the the reasons he was hesitant to do what he thought God was calling to him was purely his pride. 
but he was afraid of what people would think of him if he would become a failure. Our pride gets in our way of our obedience all the time. He realized nothing was going to happen to his kids. The worst thing that would happen to his kids, they wouldn't starve, but they might have to move in with their parents if it all went under. He writes this. He says, When I am older, do I really want to look back and say, Yeah, I sense that God was calling me to lead a movement to bring rescue to people who were desperately in need of an advocate in the world, but I was afraid of getting embarrassed, so I never even tried. Gary Hogan founded the International Justice Mission, which is now worth $47 million. That's how big their endowment is currently. They fight sex trafficking, forced slavery, child abuse, and more all over the world. They're one of the top leading international nonprofits to put an end to things like sex trafficking. But it all started with him going with him hearing God's call and obeying. He believed enough to follow. The reward of stepping out in faith and trusting God, the reward is getting to see God move, getting to see God in action. I know many of the people that helped launch Cornerstone, myself included, one of the reasons that we did this is because we wanted to see God move in Westford. And I hope that as you come to Cornerstone that you get a, want to see that vision move as well, that you want to see God move in this city. God uses our faith and our obedience to bless others. He did it for Gary, and ultimately that's the plan that God is going to bring to fruition through Abram and Abram's family. See, God tells Abram that he is going to use him to bless all the peoples of the earth. Now, that is a big promise. Galatians 3.8 explains this a little bit more in what it means. It says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abram, all nations will be blessed through you. So this is an interesting verse. The word Gentiles means every kind of people that is non-Jewish. Now at Abram's time, uh, and through the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament, this was a challenging thing. The, the nation of Israel uh, was God's people. But there came a shift in the New Testament where God was saying, ultimately, I'm, I'm blessing you so that one day you can be a blessing to everyone, so that You don't have to be Jewish to have a relationship with God, to come to know God, that ultimately, through every stage of redemptive history of the the big story of the Bible, it has always come down to having faith. It says God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham that somehow when God says all nations will be blessed through you in Genesis chapter 12, he's announcing good news. So how will all nations be blessed through Abram? Well, it has to do with his family line. The whole book of Genesis and the whole Old Testament is really about this family line. It started with Adam and Eve, and remember the serpent and how 
the descendants of the serpent were those that rejected God. The descendants of Eve were those that God saved. And that went down through Seth, and eventually it went to Noah, and then Shem, and then now it's into Abram. And as we go through the rest of the summer, we're going to be reading about the story of that family line. But if we, if we kind of look far ahead and we look towards the end of the story and we cheat just for a moment, we looked at the last chapter in this book, or one of the the important chapters, we read Galatians 3, 16. It says this, it says, the promises were spoken to Abram, Abraham, and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. In other words, all those promises we read about a place, a people, and a presence, they weren't just going to come true for Abraham, they're going to come true in another man, a much more important man that Abram is pointing forward to, a man named Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ. See, God is the blessing. And God is the blessing who came in the form of a baby, who was born in a manger, and just like we recited with the creed, born of a virgin. God is the blessing. The blessing has a name. His name is Jesus. Do you know the blessing? Jesus came. Jesus had to journey through life just like Abram. Abram traveled. Jesus lived through 33 years of life. And just like Abram had faith, Jesus had faith. But Abram got to die at a good old age, well over 100, I think it was about 170-some years old. He was an elderly man. Jesus died at a young age. That's what it meant for him to have faith, to trust God. And he did so on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. So if you're willing to put your faith in Jesus, Jesus suddenly now becomes your perfect substitute. He becomes the perfect sacrifice on my behalf, on your behalf, on any who would trust in him. See, Jesus died to pay the penalty for my lack of obedience, my lack of faith, because I am not a man who has faith all the time. I am not a man who trusts God perfectly. But Jesus is. And if my record is Jesus' record, Jesus has paid for my record, and I get Jesus' record, it's like I have perfect faith. And so now I can follow after God, because in Jesus, I've already succeeded. See, If you know Jesus, God has already said perfection. And that gives us the courage to go because there is no failure. Failure has been taken away at the cross. Failure has been paid for completely. Now in Jesus, I I will succeed spiritually. And in this life, I have the courage to go and to trust. How might God use your active faith to bless others. It would be pretty cool if God were calling some of you to become missionaries and and go and tell others about Christ. Maybe on a short-term trip this summer, maybe on a short-term trip next summer, the following one, or becoming a lifetime missionary. It would be pretty cool if God were calling some of you to simply go to the next cubicle over or the next office over and say, hey, I want to tell you my faith story. Let's talk about it sometime over coffee. It would be pretty cool if God were calling some of you to 
to change careers or even keep going in your career path so that you can change others' lives. It would be pretty cool if God were calling you to serve at Cornerstone, to sign up, to be on the welcome crew, or to be on the worship team, or to help at the 4th of July parade, because you're doing it because you believe, because you want to go. We believe in a God who calls us to have faith, and our faith is an active faith, a faith enough to go, and a type of faith that changes the course of our lives. I loved Anthony's story, that just that one moment changed everything. You can trace all of his blessings that he's experiencing now back to then. That God changed him. What moment might you be coming up to that God is saying, I want you to have faith. Go, trust me, follow me. I'll make it worth your time. God invites you into the unknown by faith so that you might know him. In The Hobbit, at the very, uh, kind of the next section of the book, Bilbo turns down Gandalf, and and Gandalf leaves. But then Bilbo realizes that he does want to go on an adventure. J.R. Tolkien writes, Then something courageous woke up inside him, and he wished to go and see the great mountains, and hear the pine trees and the waterfalls, and explore the caves, and wear a sword instead of a walking stick. If you've turned down God's adventure to go and walk by faith, it's not too late. You can go to the great mountain. You can go to the pine trees. You can hear the waterfalls. You can see God move because we believe in that kind of God. God invites you into the unknown by faith so that you might know him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, help us to follow you into those moments of faith, of testing. We love you, and we want to go where you are. We want to see you move. Perhaps that means just being faithful where we're at, but maybe it means a life change in some way. Would your Holy Spirit make that uh, real to us, make us aware of that? I ask your blessing on the offering. Would you give us the money we need to, to, to reach Cornerstone, to reach Westford here? And would we use these finances wisely? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.